0: Welcome back, listeners, to Whisper in the Wings, and a very, very exciting episode today. We have our first interview with a production across the sea over in the United Kingdom. We would love to welcome in Stephen Gillard, who is with Fury Theatre and the Asylum Players, and their latest show, Abigail. Uh, Stephen, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being for helping us. This is incredibly exciting. Uh, Stage Whisper, we've gone we've gone international. And what a show to do it with. Um, when we were talking before we started recording, um, I was just saying that as I was looking into your show, um, it really, I, I had to go back and reread the synopsis because I was, I was like, mm, wait a minute. You're, you're doing what? And, and I was actually talking to my wife and I was like, you have to read this because I don't know how to feel. I can't tell them, like, contradict them or debate them, but I'm interested. Why don't you go ahead and just tell us about your show so that I can sure, make my papers sure. make so, sense? Yeah,
1: so <laughs> Abigail, it basically, it follows this, 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 this amazing historical character, real historical character, Abigail Williams, who may well be famous to theatergoers already um, through The Crucible and, and shows like that. Um, and it's set just after the events of the Salem witch trials in 1692 through 1698. And it's following her life after the events of the of the Salem witch trials and what happened to her. We're asking this question of what happens to a young woman at that time who becomes famous or infamous, if you like, um, for such a short space of time, but with such power and such historical ramifications Um, that we know about her today, and yet we know nothing about her after the events. We know nothing about what happened to her. There are a few apocryphal tales about what happened to her after the events of the witch trials, but nothing is known, at least through the length of our research and what we could find, nothing seems to be known about what happened to her after that. So we wanted to ask that question. Where does she go once her world has been completely changed and she has run away? The lies, everything that's happened that has resulted in the deaths of so many people and destroyed her community, torn it apart. Um, Where does she go from there? Where does she end up? And what does it do to her?
0: And yeah, and as I was, like I said, as I read that synopsis, I was like, I don't know how to feel. Crucible's one of my favorites. I absolutely despise that character. And and you're doing a full on play being like, let's keep the camera going and see, you know. I felt like she, she became, well, I hope she became this like outcast and just got sent to a craggly rock and and died a lonely woman, but I'm sure that's not the case. And so I am incredibly intrigued to see how that went. I mean, and 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 it led actually to my wife and I discussing cuz I said, you know, she was in love with John Proctor who who ultimately died. So what what did she do from there? So that's where I'm like,
1: I Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things we're definitely sort of we we're, we're definitely going with is actually we're kind of stepping away from the crucible and that idea of of John Proctor, so we're actually looking much more at the actual real person and who she was at that time. So she was a real real historical character. There was an right. Abigail Williams. She was involved in the Salem witch trials. She was an accuser. She got a lot of people killed, but she was also much much younger than um, than she in real life than she was in in Miller's amazing play. Right. Um, and there was no hint that she ever actually had a relationship in reality with John Proctor that didn't, as far as we can tell, I mean, you know, history, history being what it is. um, So what we, what we said was, okay, well, what we've got there is somebody who was 16 effectively. I mean, she's up aged in Miller's play, but she's basically about 14 through 16 at the events of the crucible um, or the Salem witch trials. And then she, did run away we know in you know, the historical records shows she ran away you know her her uncle paris reported that she had stolen this money and disappeared um and so what happens to let's say a 16 year old girl 16 through 18 year old girl who has at the beginning of all these events had no more power effectively or status than the chair she's sitting upon and then through the course of the Salem witch trials, suddenly she becomes power of life and death over men, women, everybody in her community. You know, powerful people are looking at her, saying she is God's child. She is this, you know, voice through which, through which the Lord is pointing out the wicked. And she's taken seriously in a community that never so much as glanced at her um, and certainly would never have given her the time of day to have any kind of power. And so she takes it. And then she runs with it, and then everything falls apart. The lies, everything collapses, and she escapes. And she goes to, as far as we can tell, she ends up in Boston, which is obviously a port at the time. You know, similar size in the, at the time to to Salem, so not you know not as not as huge as it is today, right. um, but certainly a busy port. And what does somebody from effectively the countryside, you know, the 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 the, the, the farming communities of Salem? What happens to somebody like that when she reaches, let's say, in massive inverted commas, the big city kind of thing, you know, the the busy docks where Puritanism was not the sort of the be all and end all that it certainly was in Salem. You know, there there is no docks in the world where religion holds sway effectively kind of thing, you know, docks are docks all around the world kind of thing. So she would have met people, encountered people that, had a completely different outlook on, on the world and a completely different power dynamic um, would have would have set up. Well, at least that's what we posit in this. And you can bring all the intelligence and canniness, if you like, from your community, put that into a completely different setting and perhaps you're left with the 16 to 18-year-old girl and that's it at that point. So what happens to somebody like that?
0: Mm. Oh, I'm just... I'm so intrigued that I feel like the tables will be flipped. I just, I want to see the show so bad now. Um, (laughs) How did you come upon this?
1: Well, uh, a bit like you said, actually, The Crucible is basically my favorite play. Um, And, um, you know, uh, many people may well disagree with me on this one. Absolutely up to them. But, you know, Miller for me, play for play is probably the best playwright of the 20th century. Um, And we, we, performed The Crucible uh, here in here in, um, in Lincoln in, in the UK. And uh, uh, after it, we sort of said, well, you know, we love this play. We absolutely love this play. Um, but as you probably know, Abigail kind of just disappears from the narrative at some point. She's, you know, she is such a huge antagonist in the piece for, let's say, the first sort of two thirds of it. She's there, but actually, she's not actually in the play that off um and in fact she was taken out of a you know there's there's a particular scene where she meets john proctor in the woods and that is usually removed from from sort of current performances of, of the piece um so we sort of said well look she's such a sort of amazing character and everybody gravitates towards her in some capacity we need to see what this person becomes so we sort of set out to sort of say, well, let's, let's, try and, let's try and just sort of have a go and sort of say, you know, we, we can't, we, you know, we're, we're not doing The Crucible 2. It's very important that we say, you know, we're not doing The Crucible 2. We are doing our own show. We are, you know, taking a real historical character and, and running with her. Um, but we wanted to sort of kind of maybe redress the balance slightly and sort of have a go at looking at what happens to somebody like that in, you know, a real person and say okay well you know we can draw some parallels to today and and see powerful women built up built up destroyed and 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 see what happens to them and that's kind of where the idea came from to uh, to explore this character
0: i love that and I, I love that you emphasize that it's not the crucible you know 2.0 kind of thing it's yeah um Cause that actually, that's literally what my wife emphasized. She's like, Abigail, John Proctor, that's debated. That's, that's kind of romanticized by Miller. And she's yeah. like, "So definitely go in and, and see where this goes. So everything that you've added into it, I'm like, okay, well, thank you, Mr. Miller. That's cool, <laughs> but. So this, this is incredible. I love that you were inspired by all that though. Um, so yeah. what, was, what was it like developing all of this then?
1: Well, I mean, in some ways, I suppose in that regard, you know, um, COVID and, and everything kind of, it was, it lent an interesting aspect to that because we we came off the back of Crucible and literally that was it. We got hit by COVID right there and then. Um, in fact, our Elizabeth Proctor went down with something that if you, if it was today, you'd go, oh, well, that's COVID. She's got COVID. There you go. But it was just before we knew anything about it. Um, but that was the last play we performed before, covid shut us down so we actually then had the opportunity so myself and laura laura turner my co-writer and indeed the person who is playing abigail in this uh, in this performance um were able to sort of sit down and say well what do we want to do how do we do this you know and we were there batting ideas back and forth via zoom and various sort of chat. Platforms and sending files back and forth, and we actually set out originally to do a one-woman show. Um, And as we sort of came into that, we thought, actually, are we are we attacking this from the right angle? When we were sort of setting it around Salem at that point, and I just happened to sort of write a scene just to sort of as a bit of a, a sort of intellectual exercise, almost to sort of go, well, what might happen in boston what happens when she gets to boston what happens at boston docks let's end the play there and and sort of see what happens and then actually we were like well actually i think we're actually hitting on the most interesting aspect by going to boston by creating new characters by creating a new sequence of events that she can be a part of um and that then developed into this multicast production and and then we sort of thought, well, why don't we make it an all-female cast and look at that? But then we thought, actually, I think maybe we need the male voices back in because we're going to be looking at one of the big sort of draws of the Crucible is this sort of relationship between Proctor and Abigail that you, you talked about. But you know, Proctor's not a good person. He's not a good guy in Me? this. You know, no. <laughs> he fails on every level, basically. Yeah. Um, so, and he uses you know, knowingly or unknowingly he uses power to get what he wants from Abigail and then cast her aside Yeah. so how damaged is a person like that and then we thought well okay control coercive control it exists throughout that time period you know the whole thing is effectively a reaction to coercive control you know to the, the male dominated society that they these young women grow up in kind of thing and suddenly there's a taste of power um, you know negative in its in its in its output, but a taste of power, and they 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 snap at it. They want it, and they get it. And then, how do you go about losing that afterwards? This isn't you know we're not saying Abigail's a heroine. She isn't. She is a, you know she is a flawed flawed deeply flawed human being. But we wanted to sort of redress the balance a bit and say, okay, she's been through a lot as well, and. What does she then go through, going into this place where nobody cares about her in that way? She's not famous anymore um, and she thinks she's you know she thinks she's smart, she thinks she knows the world, and then she ends up on the boston docks uh, and she's got a lot of money you know she's stolen a lot of money. there is a record that says she stole this money and, and ran, and for the time period adjusted for inflation we're talking about like tens upon tens of thousands of dollars that she, that she stole, or pounds as it was back then. Um, and uh, in the space of maybe two years, it's all gone. And the only apocryphal stale story we have of her is that perhaps she died aged 18 as a prostitute in Boston. So how badly wrong does it have to go in that two-year period for somebody who is effectively on top of the world with loads of money to lose the whole
0: thing and their life i'm just kind of in shock at that you can have it all. What message or thought are you hoping the audiences will walk away with from the show?
1: So what our, our big goal here is effectively is to say, how far have we come? How far have we honestly genuinely come effectively in our treatment of women in this world mm-hmm. when it comes to this kind of side of this kind of life, this kind of story? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're super quick to build people up and we're super quick to build to build women up when they serve the purpose we want them to serve. And then we gleefully destroy them in the exact same way. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, build up a pop star, let's say, let's just take a random pop star, say, and we build them up and we build them up and they are this, you know, they're either they're virginal or they're sexual or they become moved from one to the other. And then we destroy them and we gleefully watch them as they shave their heads and go through mental breakdowns and have difficulties and then we lament conservatorships um, but we'll wait just as gleefully for the next head shave to come along and enjoy that in just the same way. Um, Coercive control still exists you know, spousal and uh, and every type of abuse you can think of still exists. We have not moved on from there. There are plenty of parts of this planet where women have so little control over their own destiny, right up to and including their own reproductive systems. And we're saying, have we honestly watched this and say, this is set in 1692 through 1698 as it were, somewhere in that time period, if you honestly look at the way the world works today and the way the media system works today, have we genuinely advanced as much as we would like to say we have in that time period? Um, You know, and it's very easy for us to put a wall between ourselves and historical events and say, well, they didn't know back then they were historically ignorant or they dealt with things this way or that way because they were in history and they weren't educated and they were still under the sway of, you know, political systems in the church and blah, 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 blah. And it's very easy to then put the wall and say, because it was 600 years ago or 500 or 400 years ago. Um, But I would argue that perhaps we have not quite moved on as much. And we could draw plenty of parallels to what's going on today. Um, So,
0: yeah. So we want to just get people asking questions, really. You can literally, I feel like in a lot of these modern stories, like the one you're telling, if you take away the time period and just a few of the, the i'll say the dated titles yeah Uh, there's a show here in new york called paradise square which uh, talks about the civil war draft rights Mm. and i said if i just told you that it was rich white politicians stirring up poor white people to go after african-americans what would you think and they're like oh yeah that just happened a couple years ago and i said actually it's a musical about the civil war draft rights which was back in 1860 something and they went wait what and i said yeah what have we learned in 150 years
1: yeah yeah, I mean, this is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is a woman ends up in a coercive relationship with a man who is a predator, you know, um, who takes advantage and destroys her. I mean, I don't need to tell you 1692. I can tell you 2002, 2022, exactly. 2032. It's fine. We're, you know, it's, it's there. It's in all those time periods
0: yeah you you i mean that i i would never immediately jump to 1692 i would have been like okay so when did that happen last week it's yeah. ridiculous yeah. That, that still is happening so i love that that's the message you want to to, to audiences to take away that's timely that's important so you know good yeah that thank you so now uh, the next question i want to ask is how long you've been working on this project i think you mentioned uh, you did The Crucible right before the shutdown. Yeah. You Did you start, is that when you started this then?
1: So, I mean, in its, in its current format, so the sort of multicast production, um, no. Uh, so like I said, it kind of started as a one woman show about two years ago, oh, okay. really kind of thing. Um, um, and it's evolved since then. Um, I mean, the actual current version that exists now has been around maybe two months. Maybe a bit less than that, maybe a bit more, but not very long at all, kind of thing. You know, we it's it's been a real sort of trying to find its voice um, here, and I think it's important that we say we're not finished with it uh, on this one. This is not the finished product in, in its current form. This is developing. This is something we want to have a life. You know, and it's kind of harking back to what are we hoping people? Um, what's the message or what are we asking people to do? We want people to have thoughts about okay could this be different could this change could that happen could maybe they look at this kind of thing we want that we want to develop this piece we're not we're not saying to the audience right this is the absolute finished product take it or leave it we're saying this is a work in progress we want this to build we want abigail's life to continue beyond this bit here
0: exactly well i mean it's theater it's living it's breathing it's yeah it's going to continue to change. And I love works like that, where it's like, well, we're, we're here, but it's still tweaking. It's still, we're, we're going to see yeah. where it goes. Cause it, it makes it all that much better when you come back a couple months or a couple of years later and you're like, Oh my gosh, look what they found now. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that, those kind of shows really tickle me pink. So.
1: Brilliant.
0: Uh, so then your, has your show been performed in the past or is this the first time
1: so this is the first full-scale performance of it, or I should say the full cast performance of it. It's had a few sort of scratch nights. I don't know if you have those over in the US, but um, we have these things called scratch nights where you take them to theatres and theatres put on maybe like 10 minutes of it, 10 to 15 oh, minutes yeah. of it, little samples of them kind of thing. Um, so we've had a, one or two of those um, in, in various places and we've we've done reads and, and, and table reads and rehearsed reads as it were kind of thing, but never actually got this fully up on its feet and put a cast in costume on a stage. So I'm assuming it's
0: really positive. It sounds like I'm, I'm hoping.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's we've had, we've had great reactions so far to the bits and pieces that we have put out. Um, And, you know, theaters have have really loved what we're, what we're working on. Um, We're getting, I mean, we're getting great, you know, great interest in the, 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 the concept just in the concept of itself kind of thing so that i think really speaks to that this you know and what what we're trying to do with it has legs it's got somewhere to go
0: that's fantastic um last thing about your show i want to ask is who do you hope have access to the show
1: yeah um i mean as many people as humanly possible i suppose i know like everybody would say that i don't think there's going to be many theater companies that set out to go yeah there's about 10 people on this planet and maybe a dog that we're going to be interested in seeing this but um that's not really going to be a recipe for success so um i mean just as many people as possible but i think we've got levels to this i think it's important to say we're not going on some kind of man-hating diatribe here this is a story for everybody um you know we're talking about coercive control we're talking about abuse but we're not saying that that is one way that is a one way street you know we are trying to look at we're looking at one person's story so you're always going to be locked into kind of what happens to them and you're going to have a hero and you're going to have a villain and you're going to have you know the supporting characters but this is not just one sort of thread if you like that's only one group of people could possibly get behind um i i mean i think if you're a you know, if you're a stark raving misogynist, you're probably not going to enjoy this, but, um, (laughs) uh, hopefully enough people can, could, could draw something from this to their own experiences, male, female, doesn't matter, uh, you know, and go, yeah, okay. I can, can see something here. I can, I can ask some questions. I've got something that I can take from this. And, you know, I've, I've also, you know, been on a ride here. I've, I've been on a journey. Um, so as many people as possible, I suppose, is the, the shorter answer to that question.
0: Well, that's a good answer, too. <laughs> <laughs> Please listen carefully. conversation a little bit about you because because on our show we we do like to talk about um our personal experience in the theater and share our our own stories about it so i want to start by asking you what shows in the past have inspired you or do you love or what actors or composers maybe you know hold, hold that flame for
1: oh, you? sure, yeah i mean obviously I've, I've obviously hit on miller as being a huge source of inspiration writing wise um Like I say, I think play for play, one of the best, if not the best playwright of the 20th century, really. Um, I think also, you know, writers like Aaron Sorkin, um, Mm -hmm. I love the way that somebody like him can can do dialogue, you know, just that incredibly sort of fast paced, I'm not going to dumb my characters down. Yes. You know, I'm going to have intelligent conversations and somehow make them funny and witty and, but also not be afraid to have occasionally have somebody fall over on, you know, land on their ass kind of thing. So it's, you yes. know, it's, <laughs> I, I love that his ability to do stuff like that. I mean, um they're two of my favorite writers and that's probably where i where i sort of gravitate towards when it comes to my kind of writing and i'm i think it's important to say i do not hold myself on that kind of level um just before everybody goes oh he thinks he's the next miller oh okay um so but then when it comes to directors i think there are just there's just so many amazing people out there doing really interesting work i mean um huge you know sam mendes fan and uh love what he tends to do with his theatrical shows the fact that he can go to hollywood and do you know huge scale productions and then he can come back and do you know two or three handers on the stage and and really make them spectacular at the same time love that um and i love the process that he from what i understand from what he works with with his actors to to really get those those performances um yeah so those would probably be three good names
0: Aaron Sorkin is one of my favorite writers. I'm, I'm a huge West Wing fan. So when he, yep. read, um, well, I saw a few good men a few years back at the theater when I lived in Salt Lake and I was like, I didn't realize he did this, but I can hear it in the writing. And then when yep. he did Kill a Mockingbird, I was like, I'm going to see this. And I was like, <laughs> I'm living for, I, you can hear the, the his the pattern it, yeah. it's very much. And I, I don't want to compare him to Shakespeare, but like, you know, Shakespeare has that, the iambic pentameter, that pattern. Aaron Sorkin has that like Sorkin pattern. You can just hear the rhythm in his writing. Sorkinisms.
1: Yeah. Sorkinisms. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love it. I live for it. So I'm glad there's someone else out there that, that appreciates (laughs) it. Hugely. Um, So, you know, pandemic, uh, it is still going, but theater's back. Have you gotten to see any great theater that you might want to recommend to our listeners?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one show I would just recommend if anybody gets a chance to come across to the UK or if they get a chance to go across to there, um, it's called operation mincemeat and there is a movie coming out soon that sort of deals with the same subject, but it's a musical, new musical over here in London. And we, I saw it at the, um, Oh God, I can't remember where I saw it now, but um, it was, it's a musical about a, a world war set in world war two. Um, and it's about, this group of M, well, what would be effectively MI5, MI6, or and they were OSS at the time, uh, agents who come up with this plan to fool Hitler by floating a dead body um, out of a submarine onto sure. a, a beach, clutching a bunch of top secret documents that suggest the invasion of one direction, where in fact the uh, the British are going in the other direction. To and it works. It's historically act you know it's historically real it happened this actually happened and worked and it's this amazing musical that these guys put together um called like i say, called operation Mince mincemeat and it's funny it's incredibly poignant it's i think it's five actors playing god knows how many roles throughout the course of it uh, and swapping genders and and characters and everything um and just, it's it's absolutely sublime and it just needs to grow and grow and grow. And it, I think it has been. So I would recommend that just to anybody I could.
0: And it's still playing, right?
1: Still playing. Yeah, it's still growing. Um, it's the Southwark. I saw it at the Southwark Theatre, which is another really amazing developmental theatre in, in London. Um, and got a chance to talk to the cast afterwards. And they were, they were in the same stage, which was like, okay, tell us, what do you think? What did you like? What didn't you like? Um, and... They're building and building and building and they've transferred again now and they're they're going to hit the West End at some point. I am convinced that show is going to be a huge success.
0: That sounds amazing. Dear producers, wealthy, wealthy producers are listening to our show because, you know, we're that big. (laughs) Operation Mincemeat needs to come to Broadway. Uh,
1: Yeah, Yeah, and Abigail. Abigail needs to come to Broadway uh, as well. Make sure Abigail's coming to Broadway.
0: Yeah, I I have many (laughs) questions about your show. I'm, I'm still... I'm very, perplexed. It's, it's gonna sit with me all day and I'm Brilliant. just gonna, like, be sitting on my show tonight being like, okay, this show's great, but I have questions. Um, getting into a little bit thicker questions, uh, as I've been told, uh, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Um, I think it would
1: be this idea of collaborative storytelling. You know, you, you're very rarely alone in the theater. There's nearly always a team. Um, I love directing. I got into it, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, five, six years ago properly. And I love working with a group of committed actors to help tell a story, to really help them tell a story and get it onto the stage um, and get it in front of people. I mean, you're never going to please everybody all the time. You're going to have people who love it, hate it, you know. But I think as long as nobody gets bored by it, Then you're doing your job, Um, whether, like I say, love it or hate it. At least you're inspiring a reaction. And I think, you know, working with a group of committed actors in a rehearsal room and then watching them enjoy themselves on stage is just fantastic. And there's no there's no buzz quite like that, really. There's no terror quite like that either. But um, as a director, when you sit back and watch the curtain go up on the first time and watch that carefully placed prop fall on the ground where it wasn't supposed to. Um, then, then you sit going, okay, right. Okay. Time to have that third heart attack and go from there. But once it's finished and there and you see the actors buzzing afterwards, you know, you've done your job as a director. Then.
0: I love that. What a, what a great answer. Um, all right. So rounding this out, what is your favorite theater memory?
1: Mm. Oh, that's a a tricky one. Uh, What's my favourite theatre memory? Um, I suppose I have to say, listening to an audience start to weep and then laugh at a play I'd written and directed. So I did a, a play a little while ago in 2018 called The World at Her Feet, which was about... Women's football/soccer slash in uh, in England in 1918, um, which was just huge. It was huge. I mean, nobody knows anything about it, but women's football in 1918 in the UK was was massive. And I wrote a play about a group of women hit, set here in Lincoln who formed a women's football team um, and went on to play. And it was based on based on historical truth. Um, and I wrote these bits and pieces and these, these characters and I sat in the audience um, and it was about a woman who'd just lost her husband in World War I, talking about what football meant to her and when the FA here in this country, the Football Association in this country, uh, tried to take football away from women, or in fact successfully did take football away from women in 1921, 22, I can't remember now, um, and why she was making such a fuss about losing what people said was just a game to her. And she, and I listened to the audience actually react and I could hear people crying. And then when jokes were being made, I could hear them laughing. And I, I think that is probably my favorite memory because that's the first time I thought something I've written, something I've had a hand in directing can actually affect people and, and make them feel something. So yeah, that would be my favourite theatre memory.
0: That is amazing, and now I want to go find this work. Then I mean, is your is this published? Is this play published?
1: No, it's not. It's actually been it's um in development now. They want it to turn it into a TV series. So, oh, that's incredible. um, we've got a production company, but uh, we're hoping to revive it as a play and 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 put it back on. It was kind of done as a bit of a community piece here in Lincoln for to mark the one hundredth. Uh, year since women uh, gained the right to vote in this country. So it was sort of put on for that. Um, but it's found some legs since then. So we're really hoping to to build upon it and and get that back up and running at some
0: stage. That's amazing. Well, that, that leads me into one of my final questions, which is, are there any other productions that you or the company you're working with have in the pipeline? So obviously this play about um, women's football um is, is coming is there anything else that you have or, or that uh fury theater has it's coming yeah so
1: i mean as fury theater um it's it, you know laura developed fury theater um and wanted to create this idea of uh, female stories told with fire and we're looking at how we can continue that i mean i, I think it's important that i say that that laura is just such a, an incredible driving force when it comes to this um i mean the fact she's not on this interview is because she's now pushing something else she's had to sort of like you know taken to get a a a call with another producer to sort of say this is please give us some money we need we want (laughs) to get this next idea kind of thing and it's you know she she doesn't stop um so we've got these amazing ideas about how we're going to look at we want to look at how women find themselves um in and engaging with and indeed vilified by people around the sex trade and particularly how that has become a modern institution with the rise of things like OnlyFans and how that has created a new variation of that. And what does that do to women? Has it empowered them? Has it caused more problems? Um, What does it do? Um, We're not saying it's one or the other, but we have an idea based around, a sliding doors if you remember that movie a sliding doors style story of somebody who makes a choice and goes from goes down one route and you see them go down one route or goes down another route and you see them go down the other route based around whether they start something along the lines of that kind of only idea um and what does it do to uh, empower or disempower them along the way and what does choosing the other option and getting your your nine to five, your your you know your are in inverted commas noble profession job. Um, does that empower you or disempower you? And what does society make of both options?
0: Oh, huh. that that piques my interest as well. I, I think <laughs> it <piques my> interest <laughs> of my wife as well. So <laughs> that's very cool.
1: Yeah, and then we've got we've got uh, yeah well there are feet in the works. We've got another play called Cowards, which is in the works, which is about um a young man who's based on again on a historical characters world war one uh set and this is going to be a sort of two-part play in fact that we're going to hopefully try and run concurrently so it's based on a play i wrote a while back um about a young man in world war one who uh was joined up at the age of i think he was 15 when he joined the army in world war one so he was too young to join lied about his age joined up and then was tried for cowardice and executed by his own side before he was even old enough technically to even be in the army. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're we're, we're sort of doing a a two-part play which deals with that and then the effects of what that might do to his family back home, particularly his mother, um, and what she's going through during those events. So it's going to be two separate plays that deal with the same subject and you'll see it from two angles effectively.
0: Wow, uh, very contrasting uh, subject matter there. But wow, that, that also sounds incredible. You guys are getting all the good stuff over there. That's it, That's <laughs> heading over. Incredible. Well, yeah, if Please I'm do listening. come and
1: join us. Come and see some stuff. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Love to have you.
0: I'm off to Lincoln. Yeah. If our listeners want more information about Abigail, um, how can they reach out or how can they find you?
1: So best way to do it is uh, through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and search us up at Fury Theatre. That's the best way. So we throw information out across our handles, across social media there. If it's specifically about Abigail, then the Space Theatre in London, uh, their website has got all the information about, um, about the tickets and how that's being sold and the live stream. So you can see it over in the US. You don't have to be in the UK to see it. Um, there will be a live stream, so you can uh, z- uh, come in on that. Uh, and then, yeah, um, Facebook, social media, all those kind of ways. We are just constantly throwing out information. And if, I think it's important to say if anybody wants to get involved with us as well, we are completely open. We want people to get involved, and we want people to have ideas and want to get involved as well.
0: Perfect. And how, And when is Abigail running?
1: Abigail runs from the 3rd to the 7th of May uh, this year. Perfect.
0: Well, this has been amazing. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been an honor. Um, Thank you. Most guests from the UK and, and, and what a gripping show you have. Our guest today has been Stephen Gillard, who is the director and co-playwright of Abigail, which is being done by Fury Theater and the Asylum Players. You can get information about the show playing from the 3rd to the 7th of May. Uh, It's playing at the Space Theater in London. You can find them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. That's where they're putting out all their information. Uh, I believe they said they are having a live stream. So all of us here on the States, we can tune in. We'll have a watch party. It'll be great. Um, again Stephen thank you so much for joining us can't wait to see what the show looks like and is and can't wait to see what else you guys do next it sounds like you have some amazing things in the pipeline
1: it's open thank you thank you very much
0: so until next time I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones unwrap your candies and keep your masks on and keep talking about the theater
1: in a stage whisper
0: thank you If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at StageWhisperPod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Kelly Lattimore, Jazzar, and Billy Murray.